You're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography, design, creativity, and more, with your hosts, Dave Clayton and Alan Hess. Hello and welcome back to another episode of He Shoots, He Draws, and tonight we've got a very special guest. It's one of those that's been on the list for a very long time, and like I sort of say to Alan, I really would love to have him on the show, but it's like the the higher up the Adobe chain you get, the busier they've got to be. But tonight we're very, very honoured to have Mr. Brian O'Neill-Hughes, so thank you for joining us, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Now, we've... Um, we were just saying before the show, we've actually bumped into each other a few times over the years. Um, initially for me at Photoshop World, um, seeing you do the keynotes there and the presentations on the software and seeing you um, talking about new products, which are, have now become day-to-day things. And obviously your role with Adobe is really busy. But like most people in the industry, it's like we know what you do and we know where you work, but we don't know who you are. <laughs> So we just wanted to take the opportunity tonight to sort of talk about you, really. And, you know, going back to young Brian at school, what I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up? You you know, what's funny is I I never talk about this. And this is the second time today that someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. So this is this is fresh and and very topical. Um, When I was little, I can I can tell you that, uh, you know, I wanted to be I wanted to be two things. First, I. I discovered photography when I was about seven. I used to take photos at my mom's uh, office party. She worked for a, an oil company, and they'd hand me a camera probably to keep me busy. And I would run around and get the perspective of a very little person. You know, this is 1980s at an oil company, yeah. so you can imagine what's going on. Uh, and no one really noticed me, so I was just kind of flying the wall with a little rangefinder taking pictures. So, And I loved that. I, I just thought the camera was the coolest thing in the world. So. I wanted to do something related to photography from very, very early on. And then I would say the other part of my life that you'll, anytime you see me demoing or, or talking, it usually comes up, um, was cars. My my stepdad who raised me uh, was a big motorsports guy. He he rallied and, and did all of that. And so he got me really close to that. So it, it was, I wanted to do something related to the two of those things. And I, I did actually end up you know, flirting with both of those worlds before finding my way to Adobe. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing is sometimes the thing that you really have a big passion about when you're younger just eventually comes round. Um, normally because the circumstances you find yourself in with your job or your life and whatever. And you've actually talked about the first thing we wanted to talk about, which was I love the line in your bio about you love driving fast cars and running slow marathons. <laughs> Very slow. So yeah. so the, let's talk about the cars first because sure. I want to talk to you about the marathons. So obviously a, a love of cars. Um, I mean, I've just been watching, I don't know if you've seen it, as a, there was a show on Netflix called The Rust Brothers Restorations. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, it's so good. Um, but it's basically this kind of workshop where these team of guys, uh, you know, they have that, oh, well, it's, is it all going to go wrong? And in the end, it all goes right. But they restore, they restore old American cars, ah, cool. um, which is fascinating because I love Americana and old retro stuff. But you, you specifically now, uh, you're a driving instructor for a BMW collector's car or no so yeah the the bmw club is is just a way of getting on the racetrack so um i was a bmw guy for a very long time um i i still think they're they're good cars um 
not as big of a fan of their later, more recent cars, but they still do great things. But it's a huge car club. Um, that's what my dad was into when I was a kid. That's the organization that I work with the most. I volunteer for them. Um, but, you know, the real appeal with them is they get the most track dates. They, they are the most organized. They're the most together. So it's the, you know, one of the largest car clubs in the world. And unlike a lot of um, other car clubs where you would do what's called lead follow, where you'd get behind someone who knows what they're doing, uh, with the BMW car club, they have an instructor in the seat right next to you. And there just isn't a better way to learn than that. Lead follow is, it's, it's efficient, uh, but it's dangerous. Um, so I really like the way they teach, and I've been working with them since I was a kid. Um, and even if you have, they're, they are uh, brand agnostic. You know, there's, it's, it's a home for the Lotus guys and the Subaru guys and okay. everybody else. And you've become an instructor. So I take it you started off as a driver and you've now become an instructor? Or? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> we could go very deep on cars. My, <laughs> go deep, go my, as deep as you like. <laughs> my stepdad um, did the redesign of Laguna Seca in 1986. Oh, how cool. Uh, which, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. No, so he's the, <laughs> I've been to Laguna Seca, um, not for a car race, but for Grateful Dead shows. So <laughs> I know the area It was also well. <laughs> an amazing concert venue for a short while, yeah. Um, it's, it's a state park, you know, there's a, there's a track in a, in a park. So, you know, he's a huge motorsports guy <clears throat> and he's a civil engineer. And so, you know, he was going to do anything and everything to get the gig when it came to redesigning the track to run MotoGP bikes, to run, uh, you know, essentially what's F1 for the rest of the world, uh, mm. here in the States. So it was a really big deal. And the design that he did was so good. Um, that the drivers, you know, Andretti and, you know, all these guys said, we prefer this new orientation of the track because he designed it so it could, it could run bikes on one orientation, it could run cars on the other. They love the cars, they love the track so much that they made that the car track. So, you know, I joke that I didn't really have any choice but to get into all this stuff. Um, so I started, I was literally driving on that track when it was dirt. Um, and then I volunteered there, you know, through high school. Uh, as community service, we had to do community service at my high school, and I was always getting dragged to these these high performance driving schools, and so that was kind of my inroad to that. And so I did I did a lot of them, um, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens, and I did some in Europe, including the Nurburgring, which was kind of like, you know, a doctorate program for a driver. I, yeah. lear I learned more in two weeks in Germany than I did in ten years in the States. Wow. Um, and that, and then I became, and then I started doing some instructing, um, and I, you know, that's a volunteer gig. I do it when I can. I don't do it as much as I'd like to, but um, it, just like, just like what I do with Adobe, it's, it's super fun to share, you know, what little I know with other people. That's that's uh, super exciting. Is that one of those though where Mrs. O'Neill Hughes comes in and says, "Brian, the life insurance is up to date, <laughs> isn't it?" <laughs> well, side story in that you guys want to get to know me. Um, my wife, who grew up in the same town but didn't remember me because I was very forgettable, her dad ran the Jim Russell School, which is uh, her dad's a English guy, and there's and they they wanted someone to run marketing for this race school that was at the track, and her dad's from England, so he's got the right accent, and he's also kind yeah. of a smooth character. So he was in charge of the Russell School at that same time, which means that she's done these incredibly advanced racing schools so she's oh wow both proficient and could kind of care less about it all she just doesn't worry about it <laughs> wow oh, so have you raced yet 
Uh, no, no, she doesn't. Uh. She's she's into horses. That's her thing. She doesn't. She she's into one horsepower. I'm into like four hundred plus. Oh, that's right. At least you've both got a hobby that does cost money. <laughs> yeah, super, super cheap hobbies. <laughs> it's always worse when one of you's got the really expensive hobby and the other one's like, oh, I do crochet. And it's like, well, I need to buy this new thing. I need to. Sp and like, Do you really need it? But no, if you've both got, I know, I know horses are, can be, can be an expensive hobby as well. So at least you can kind of balance, exactly. balance that out. What are the, um, have you fed that down to the boys? Uh, a little bit, yeah. My my younger boy, I got him. I always wished that someone had started me on karting because all the really really good, you know, race drivers, they start with with go karts at, at an early age. And so when my son was maybe eight, we started doing uh, indoor go karting with him, and yeah. he took to it really fast. He really really enjoyed it. And in fact, just before quarantine, he won his first race. And I was, oh. it's like a lot oh. of things. It was. It meant more to me to watch him do that than anything I've ever done. So he he loves it. Um, neither of them are old enough to drive yet. So they get to, you know, drive the little, you know, the, the little hay truck at the at the barn or, or whatever. You yeah. Know. But, uh, I think th at least one of them has got the bug. Yeah. Because <laughs> your eldest is now just turned 16, isn't it? Wow, so... you're good. Yeah. Uh, my research. <laughs> Where are you? Are you here? Um, that's impressive. Yeah, he just turned 16 and he could care less about driving. It's so, which is fine. I mean, I it's it's dangerous and it's expensive, um, but it surprises me to no end because for me, driving was freedom and it's yeah. every everything I wanted. Oh, when I turned 16, I couldn't I couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of a car just so that I could get somewhere. Like I didn't know where I was going and I had really had nowhere to go. But the idea that I could actually go there if I had a place to go was the most appealing thing in the world. And my, yeah. my nephew, who is turned 16 right now, my brother's like, he doesn't care at all. He just, like, it means nothing to him. He doesn't even want to take the driving test. And I'm, I was baffled. I'm like, I think it's a generational thing. Um, I think you're right. Yeah. Which... I, I feel bad, but every time I hear a story like that, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it's not weird. <laughs> no, and it's, it, you know, I thought it was completely strange. I mean, my best friend and I both got our driver's licenses within two weeks of each other and then promptly um, fender-bendered each other, um, leaving his house. So, uh, you know, we had, you know, some, some but he walks to school. His, none of his friends want to drive. They live in L.A., and he just, he they're like, they had to force him to go take the driving test. And it was just a really odd kind of thing, and I'm like... You know, maybe, you know, their entire lives are different. But, I mean, it, it, it kind of ties into the other stuff you do. They're online all the time. Everything he does is interconnected with his phone. I mean, he was more concerned about, you know, what his phone could do than a car, which was a really kind of, <laughs> I love my phone, but, you know, I still like to go places. Um, and he did. probably spent more on his new phone than my first four cars added together oh, in value. There's no doubt. 100%. Oh. <laughs> and car, cars are way more fun i i even said to a graphic designer conference the other day like about problem solving and everything i said it, it's nice if people think of you as the the person to help out but i said i genuinely think every person should change a tire on a car at the roadside 100%. you've you, you, in, until you're there and you have to do it and you learn kind of your strength but actually you don't need to be strong because you've got the tools to do it but i just think it's one thing that 
like I'm my my eldest lad. Uh, he's twenty four, and I'm just teaching him like how to change a tire on a bike. And I'm like, mate, you've got to do it yourself because if you're out and you're on the road and you've got your repair kit and you get a flat, you've got to be able to do this. You need to learn how to use the spoons. It's so <laughs> true. Yeah, it's so true. Even, I... even today. It's still hard to take a tire off a bike without two spoons. Before I could leave the driveway, my my father, not my stepfather, but my father, um, he wanted me to know how to tr- change the oil, the spark plugs, the tires. I think he wanted to, me to do the brakes as well, which was just way too much at <laughs> oh, that no, point. Oh, no, that's too much. But, um, yeah, it, I started realizing, I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually think we're talking about me here. We're talking about me working on your car. Um, yeah. But I do think it's important to know how these things work and at least how to get down the road. You don't want to get stuck somewhere. No, I think it's good for problem solving. So going from super fast, let's go to really slow because now now we've got something in common. Marathons. Are you a runner? I was a runner. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so doing marathons is a, is a huge thing because I know when I was younger, um, I wasn't the sl- I wasn't the slimmest kid. I wasn't the fattest kid in school, but I wasn't the slimmest kid. I wasn't a runner. I wasn't an athlete. Um, I enjoyed football um, and a, a little bit of kind of athletic stuff that I could do. But running was never a thing I thought I would do. And it wasn't until I was in my late, uh, no, mid-20s. I was 26. And a friend of mine who had run a few marathons had said to me, you should come out running with me. And I did. And the first, I, I remember the first night I went out with him, we did, we hadn't even run a mile. And I thought my heart was going to fall out of my backside. It, it was like everything in my body, I had pulses in my body that I didn't think I had pulses for. But I actually found it quite therapeutic to kind of just go out for a, a set amount of time. I never thought of it as distance, I always thought of it as time, thinking time, listening to music. And I developed it, and I ran my first London Marathon with four months training wow. in 1991. Awesome. And subsequently did eight London wow. Marathons in so 10 years. you've done way more than I have. <laughs> now, I say I've run them. When people used to say, oh, you know, what kind of time you're hoping for, I'd always say same day. <laughs> but <laughs> but I have to say, like running, like running for, when people say oh, I've done a 5K, to like, so the snob in me goes 5k that's like three miles but when you train up to that first half marathon that's quite a big step but when you actually go to do a marathon you did the big sur marathon i think I did didn't big you? Sur three times yeah yeah how how did you fit that in because they like knowing you've been for adobe for 22 years now yeah. i think it is uh, mm-hmm. you know running takes a lot of time yeah so what just made you go one day, I love driving fast cars, but now I'm going to run 26 miles? Well, I, I don't live near the office, so driving fast cars is, is for better or worse, I get to commute every day. Like, I, I think right. of I think of commuting just like I think of work. It's never I have to. It's always I get to. Like, I truly get excited mm. when I fire up the car, and I get excited Sunday evening when I go to work. Um, I was always, you know, a bit of a gym rat. I'd, I'd get into one kind of working out or another starting when I was maybe 18, and once I was a product manager on Photoshop, which I did, you know, I was on the Photoshop team for the first 15 years of my career and mm. about a decade as product manager for that product. Um, super, super, super busy days, just wall to wall meetings. You're just, no matter what, you, your, your day just escapes you. And so I would travel a lot and I needed to figure out something that I could do on the road or at any time. 
And kind of like you, I running was a very unlikely choice. I, I never enjoyed running. I was never good at running. It was always difficult. It's often still difficult. Um, but I think that working on Photoshop, not having a lot of available time, and you know how it is when you're on the road, you eat a lot of junk. Um, yeah. Going through kind of a difficult personal time uh, at that particular moment as well, um, which I think you'll find a lot of distance runners have have that. In, there's there's it has its yeah. roots <laughs> in something bad. We don't we don't need to talk about what it is. It was a bad time, um, and it was just one of those things where I felt like it was it was very rewarding. I could I could run a mile one day. I could run a mile and a half you know, the next time and it started building and I was getting stronger and I was seeing the results and I, w I wasn't ever fast. I'm still not fast, but I realized I could do it. And then there was this magical unlock where it wasn't really work. I could just kind of shut my, my mind off and just go. And it was, um, I, it's with me just about every day because I'll often go into a difficult situation and think, you know, you ran 26 miles several of them uphill in the wind, like way uphill. If you've ever driven to Big yeah. Sur, you can do this. You've got this. You know, I think about that all the time. It goes back to problem solving. Yeah. It's that men, that, that mental problem solving. Uh, do you know how I used to run up hills is I used to look at my feet because if I was looking at my feet, I was looking at a flat surface. Yeah. And when you look at your feet, when you're running, it makes you feel like you're running faster than you are. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I used to get my head down and run. So come on, what was your what was your best marathon time? Uh four twenty something. Again, not oh, not fast at all at all. I think that was that, I think that's, that's good. I think Big Sur gets about a twenty minute penalty because of the hills. So it's not right. it's not a qualifier. It's not the sort of thing anyone would ever use as a as a as a qualifying time for you know an elite race or anything. So four twenty yeah. at at Big Sur is is more like four, but um yeah i'm i'm just happy to cross the line do you, do you, oh do you still <laughs> run on a regular basis or i i do i run regularly but but much shorter distances i i live in the mountains so it's you know five miles here feels like eight anywhere else there's a lot of it's, it's a like lot of wind, hills <laughs> it's like wind chill factor kind of yeah yeah so I, I, I love it i mean it's hard but i i i do enjoy it I always went into it with the attitude is, I oh, know I'm not going to win it, so just enjoy it. Yeah. And and where, that first one, I mean, it, my my fastest was 4:40, my slowest was 5:50, and that was over that was over the eight. Yeah. But I, that first one, uh, even now when people say like, "What's the best thing you've done?" Apart from having kids, because yeah. that's a given. But whenever anyone says, "What's your biggest achievement?" I always I always say my first marathon because training for it was such a big thing for me i was going through a difficult time so getting out was good for me as well yeah and my friend was really encouraging and he set me a challenge of five hours to do it and my finishing time photo is me running under the clock at 4 59 really that's yeah. amazing oh i love it i had to i had to sprint across westminster bridge because it now it finishes in front of buckingham palace but it used to finish on westminster bridge and i just remember i didn't want to let him down and i just wanted to prove to myself that if with the challenge and then when you finish and you say not again never again and you get your medal but there is something about 
the whole run in therapy is that you can think, you can problem solve, you can like get out the frustrations of the day, whether you go and run three miles, six miles or eight miles. It was something I enjoyed, but I mean, my last one was 2002. Yeah, so, so I I did I did enter the London this year, kind of kind of thinking, um, I'd be starting from scratch again. But I I just wanted something to get me back to doing something like that because just going out, I mean, I should be able to go out there anyway. And I live in a really flat area, so it's really really easy. But I used to come up with all my best ideas out running. Oh yeah, I I think that it's I think it's really great mentally. I always feel wonderful afterwards. I, I almost always dread doing it, but but after, if you can like project yourself to how you feel when you're done, yeah. I, my day is always better. Um, and I think it's like so many things, a lot like public speaking, it is a complete mental game. Like anybody can do it. It's just a matter of psyching up and, and getting out there, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. You Are you reading my notes? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm over Because... That was that was something I would I got down to talk to you about because um, like when you when you have a role at a company and you're doing a particular job like you said you were on the Photoshop team for quite some time and that's kind of a big big part of time and I remember you showing off Photoshop new features and Lightroom new features but that's exactly it I've spoken to Julianne before about it is suddenly you're doing your job and then the next minute it's brian um could you go and stand up there and talk to those eight thousand people about this thing and demo it at the same time was that something you immediately found comfortable or were you were you out of your comfort zone with that or did you just think no put me up there i want to tell the world no absolutely not i'll, I'll give you the long version of this story if you please if do you want to hear it i was a super shy kid uh, i was so shy that I never once raised my hand. I, if, if I knew the answer, I never raised my hand. If um, I knew the answer and they called on me, I would claim I didn't know the answer. I was just whatever the easiest way to deflect attention to get out of it, yeah. away from me. I, if I had to go to the restroom, wouldn't just wait. Um, yeah, like it was. It was. I, I was painfully shy, um, and I was like that very much when I was a kid, and it maybe loosened up a little when I was, you know, college years a tiny bit. Uh, if I knew people. And then I, I came to Adobe and same. I remember the first day that I was on West 10, we were, I, I was a tester. I, I was testing Photoshop at the time. And we went around the room to introduce ourselves. And that was like the most nerve wracking thing in the world to me was just to say who I was. Um, and so, you know, fast forward in the story and um, I had really wanted to become a product manager and I had a shot at being a product manager. Um, for a short while, my boss was going to step out. Um, she wasn't my boss yet, but she was going to step out on maternity leave. And she said, well, you can step in while I'm gone. There's no gig for you. You're not, you don't have the job when I come back. But you, know, you can get some, some real product management experience. And so this was CS3, which was a huge release for us. It was Photoshop yeah. for Intel, which was a really, really big deal. And I had, I had been product managing a lot of the features. So I, I knew it really, really, really well. And I was always a user. So I, I had total confidence in the product and, and what I was talking about. But the most worrisome part, and I had a lot of sleepless nights, was we're going to send you out on press tour. We're going to send, the at the time, the four, the four pre product managers are going to scatter to the winds. And you're going to go on the, I drew the short straw. I got the Asia Pacific. So I've, you know, 
Singapore, Australia, New Zealand. Not, not that there's anything wrong with those places, but yeah, because of the time way. shift, because of the distance, and because I'd be away for almost a month, you know, that the new guy's going to get that one. Um, and I had to speak a lot. Uh, and I was absolutely terrified. And I, I pretty much thought, you know, this is the one part of the job I know I'm going to suck at. And God, I hope nobody finds out. How am I going to bluff my way through this so that I still make a, an impact on these folks? But the thing is, I was out there with other product managers. I was out there with folks who were senior to me. And Photoshop has so much attention that every single day there was going to be a report going all the way back to the top on how I was doing and how we perform. Mm. This is a press tour, right? So it's you're immediately measured on your performance. I didn't have any choice but to, but to step it up and to show up. And by the end of that tour, I, you know, it happened pretty quickly. There were, there were times when I was briefing three or four people, and there were times when I was briefing a couple hundred. By the end of the tour, I realized, you know, I know this stuff. I can do this. They're turning to me as an authority. Um, as long as I'm genuine about it, as long as I really believe in what I'm talking about, I, I, not only did I not mind it, I kind of liked it. And sh right around that, that period of time, I got to know Scott Kelby pretty well. Mm. And he was, you know, he kind of threw me in the deep end <laughs> many times. Um, and I like that too. I, I was, <laughs> it's not like I was talking about something I didn't know about. That, I think that was the fear, right? That was the fear when I was a kid is that someone knew more. And with Photoshop, granted at Photoshop world, chances are that other people did know more, but I, I also knew things they didn't know. So I, I really came to enjoy it. Um, really, really came to love that part of the job. And it became kind of what I'm known for, you know, or one of the things I'm known for, much yeah. to my surprise. You've become like you've become a keynote speaker. You've become uh, an author at Linda. You've done training. You've you like you're known for your presentation and training and keynotes as much as you probably more than you are about your actual day job. Yeah, it because... it, it went from uh, a weakness to a strength, and it's you know these days it's something I do because I want to do it. I, it's not necessarily part of my job. Like even on the Max stage, which I've done five Max keynotes now. I've only done one of those when I was on, maybe two when I was on the Photoshop team. The rest have been for the Photoshop team on another team because Adobe has confidence in me as that that storyteller, that spokesperson, yeah. and I'm honored to do it. And you get to be out there and speak to people who use the product to, you get the feedback, you get the look on their faces like that, look of, oh wow, that's awesome. and. You get them to come and speak to you and say, oh, can it do this? Can it do that? And you can go back and report that. Okay, this is what they want. It's that whole thing of joy and delight. You want to give users what they need. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah, I know about Scott throwing you under the bus. Cause, <laughs> that's, that's cause, uh, you guys know how that he, works. Yeah. He, uh, I, I've said this before, but when's the first time Scott asked me to teach at Photoshop World and I was teaching Indies, or well, teaching InDesign, um, even though I can teach Photoshop and Illustrator, InDesign was the thing he kind of, put me into and alan was there and i was uh, my first public i'm same as you grew up shy wouldn't put my hand up um I, I almost hated it if anyone spoke to me at school and and just would be like i'm the paper i'm the lining behind the wallpaper at a party that was me i did my first public speaking gig when i was 50 at photoshop oh World. wow 
because I just thought Scott's gone okay she fancy doing it and I was like what speak in front of people I mean I hated leaving a company because on my last day I'd have to talk to them all in a room and say thank you but he, it, like you say if you know your subject and you love it and you're very passionate about it then you're, you're only talking about something you love and Scott doing that gave me the confidence because I've now done classes at Kelby One I've done three four photoshop worlds now teaching um i even taught scott something once which was brilliant when he came in the room and said how you doing i said we're going to start off with this and scott went i didn't know you could do that (laughs) so i now i now call it the thing that scott kelby doesn't know (laughs) but someone like i mean someone like him when you are shy you and like mike getting me to do the marathons i think once you just break the seal Uh and you suddenly believe in yourself and you can do it you actually enjoy it all the more Uh because it's like, yeah, people want to hear me talk about this thing that they love. Really, Uh as much as they love you, they want to hear about what's coming out in Photoshop and Lightroom and whatever, but you get to deliver the good news. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like like you were saying earlier, you know, you you get all this wonderful feedback, you realize you don't have to wear a cape to do this, you know, anyone can do this, like running. It's it's mental, yeah. you know. It's all driving, running, speaking. Uh, that's all. It's all a mental game, and I, I guess I like those kind of situations. <laughs> and I love the fact. Well, I was just going to say, on, you, you started at you know you were, you had this passion for photography. So you you know, there's a lot of people that go work at companies and they don't actually they're not the end users of the of the product. They're you know for lack of a better term they're just speaking heads like here's our new widget and they go out and they promote the new widget but as a photographer who was using photoshop you know it comes across as a much more like excited genuine like like holy crap i love this you're gonna love it too because i actually know what you do and so uh, you know and and the genuine part of that comes across really fast to uh, most of us jaded slightly older tech users you know um I've seen a lot of press stuff in my life that, you know, it just shows up and I look at it and I throw it away. Um, but I, when I was introduced to Photoshop and it was early on, I think image ready was just, had just become part of it. And I was hired by a company to help make flyers for their, um, warehouse. And I talked them into, no, 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 no. We've got to have all the Adobe products for this. You know, I, not just a marking pen and a piece of paper like before. So they bought me Photoshop and, um to make balloons literally make a cut out of a you know balloon shape and put text into it wow nowhere in my brain did i think this is a great product i should go work for adobe (laughs) so (laughs) i mean i know at some point you went like i love this stuff and i'm gonna go work for them how did that actually like come about because yeah yeah Uh, so you know i mentioned that i i loved cars and i loved photography and I grew up in, in Carmel, California, which is where Edward Weston and Ansel Adams lived. And you would see these guys around. It's a small town, a mile, oh, wow. mile square downtown. So photography, in my mind, it was like, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something with photography. Um, and I thought, well, you know, what, what's the dream version of photography? I didn't want to shoot weddings, although these days people make <laughs> insane amounts of money shooting weddings. Um, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do portraits, cause, again, because I was so shy. I didn't want it to have anything to do with people. Um, 
the landscape thing had been played out. I mean, how on earth are you going to live up to those le the legends yeah. of your hometown? That wasn't going to happen. Uh, although there was a black and white thing in there, which I would revisit later. Um, so I was like, well, obviously cars, right? Motorsports. I, um, I knew the track. I knew the subject matter. And I really do think um, that if you know the subject matter, you can be... You don't have to be the best photographer if you understand how the subject moves, whether it's horses or I have a friend who's really into jets. He's not a good photographer. He's an awesome photographer with planes because he knows what they're doing and the best mm -hmm. angles. So I thought, gosh, with cars, that's that's my thing right there. And I was able to line that up and get this job shooting motorsports out at the track. And I even got a couple magazine covers and I, I, I thought this was going to be the dream. But I actually hated it. I, I was taking, it was essentially taking the same picture all day long. You know, zero disrespect to some amazing motorsports photographers out there. There's people that go way beyond what I was doing. I was stationed at one turn with two bodies and two lenses, just panning and shooting film days, very expensive, all day long. You know, you might get a couple frames out of each roll. I... I didn't like the photography. I wasn't driving. I was watching other people drive. So it was kind of a nightmare. And I was like, oh, God, what am I going to do now? This is not good. So I did that on the weekends. And I made quite a bit of money doing it. I would, I'd shoot for car clubs. People would come out. They'd drive on the track. I'd take shots. I'd take them back to the lab that I worked at. And I'd bring a bunch of 8x10s the next day. I'd print, I'd print the best 8x10 of every single car. And I'd find that most of them would sell. The ones that didn't sell, it was a wash. But I would sell so many, and I'd have them ready right away, that I'd, I'd do pretty well with that. Uh, that was a good little, it wasn't a racket, because, you know, it was totally legit. But it w that sustained my income. I worked at the camera store. I didn't love either of the things I was doing. I, I repaired cameras. I worked with a lot of photographers, because we, we had this uh, one-hour lab and custom lab in Carmel, so I got to meet all these amazing photographers, you know, really, really great folks. I was learning a lot. I was absorbing a lot. But I was also trying to find my way in photography. And it was tough. I, the thing I thought I'd love, I didn't love. The thing that I could make money at wasn't very fulfilling. And then the owner of the store, uh, who is a really super, super interesting guy, uh, very intense guy. And that, that would set the bit for me on breaking through to really intense executives and like not getting scared by them, you know, which would, which would play out throughout my, throughout my entire career. Um, because I think I'm something of a, of a, you know, uh, an executive whisperer. I don't get, I don't get put off by these guys. I kind of, I, I like the challenge of getting to know them. <laughs> executive you know? whisperer. Um, <laughs> that was, that was me with Kelby. Everybody was kind of scared of Kelby. And I was like, well, I'm going to get to know that guy. That's another story. Um, so I, I hung out with the owner quite a bit because he scared me. I, I would spend time in his office and I'd learn from him. And he was, he was a really weird guy, but he was, he was an interesting guy. And he said, I want to go to this Siebold show, this Siebold imaging show. This would have been in like 1995, 96. And so I was like, okay, we're, what are we doing? We're going to go see the future of photography. So he hands me the keys to his 911. He says, you know, I, I hear you're a driver. I've never driven a Porsche in my life. And now I'm driving my boss's car up the coast. You know, Ooh. all I want to do is not crash it. I wasn't trying to show off at all. I'd read all these stories about, you know, if, you, if you're driving a 911, you're, 
it's not a question of if you're going to go off the track backwards. It's a question of when. So this is on the back of my mind. I'm just keep it on the road. <laughs> get to where you're going. Um, so we go up to the Siebold Imaging Show, and we decide to to divide and conquer. We're at Moscone Center, massive place, and we're both going to get our heads around the future of photography. And I made it as far as the Adobe booth, and this would have been circa Photoshop 3.0, and Russell Brown's running a, a demo with the, you've, you guys have seen it, it's the two hands, you know, it's a, with the earth in the hands and it's a composite yeah, yeah. image, you know, multi-image composite because layers were kind of still a new thing then. And I, you know, I was, I guess I was loosely aware of what Photoshop was I, somewhat. Digital cameras hadn't happened in a profound way yet. Um, and I sat down and I watched it and I tell you, I, I had that moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. I, whatever these guys are doing, whatever this product is, whatever this company is, it it just opened my mind to it opened my mind to Silicon Valley, to digital imaging, to Photoshop. And, you know, here I'm I'm watching Russell, who's obviously, you know, he's like the original evangelist. He's he mm. he's, is the guy doing something that he does so well. Um, and I sat there and I watched the same demo like three times over. And I, I decided right then and there, I'm, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a computer science degree, which I believed I needed. And I'm going to devote myself to, to doing something with Photoshop. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how big it was. I didn't know that the tech boom was happening. I didn't have any sort of digital camera. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have Photoshop. But I decided right then and there, that's what I was going to do. And and two and a half years later, I was at Adobe doing it. I'm, there's a lot of in between, but that's that's uh, that was my moment where I just fell head over heels for Adobe and for Photoshop. And what was your in at Adobe? What was like the first the first job you managed to get? Yeah, well, I'll give you I'll give you the buffer in between because I think it 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 both legitimizes me and and um, is a good part of the story. I. I knew I needed to leave town. Being in Carmel was not going to open any doors in Silicon Valley. And as soon as the owner saw that I had a passion for this, he helped make that happen. He said, um, you know, I want you to go back to school. Um, I'm not going to cut your benefits. I'm going to, you'll have less hours here, but I'm still going to make sure that you're insured because that's important too. But, you know, you've, there's, there's brighter things on your horizon than working at a camera store in Carmel. So he was ridiculously uh, supportive. His name was Dave Mustin. He's, he passed away a few years ago. I, I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. Um, and I pretty quickly moved to, to Silicon Valley and started studying at USF as part of this computer science program. And I had managed to... <laughs> the, the camera store that, we, that I worked at got acquired by Wolf Camera, which was this huge sort of conglomerate, which I wasn't very excited about, but I was able to sell them on this story that I was the guy that could see the future of photography. Because I'd kind of, over the course of the last few months since I'd been at Siebold, I'd become passionate and obsessive, if not skilled. So it, I certainly seemed like the guy that you'd want to talk to. Um, I talked the talk and I had all the enthusiasm for something that no one really understood. And for for this, they rewarded me with being in charge of digital imaging, which was at the time ads and flyers and restorations for 16 of the Bay Area's uh, Wolf camera stores. 
So I went from being like in the corner at the Carmel Camera Center, occasionally scanning someone's photo and doing just a god awful job of compositing it, to having a ton of responsibility and and running this lab that supported a ton of stores. Um, so I was, and this is before you know, it's for obviously way before YouTube or anything. This is like 96, 97. Um, I was living in Photoshop all day, every day. So even though I, you know, kind of conned my way into it, I, I had to become legit pretty quick. So I worked a lot of hours in this little dark room, getting to know Photoshop, getting to know the Mac. Um, and I just would not stop pestering anyone and everyone about trying to get a job at Adobe. And my my girlfriend at the time had a roommate that had a, a she got a job in pr at adobe and i just I, you know she lived near they both lived near adobe one of them was pr at adobe that was close enough for me and so hmm. every night i would just badger this poor woman and, and you know are there any openings is there anything i so badly want to do this i just wouldn't i was just relentless um for about a year and i think that she finally organized a, uh, an interview for me just to shut me up. And it was an interview with the Photo Deluxe team. Photo Deluxe was a mm -hmm. consumer imaging application that used to come with scanners and, and early digital cameras, like, you mm -hmm. know, the Casios and Olympus. I think I still have a box of it in the garage. <laughs> Probably came with right. my first <laughs> scanners. We shipped a lot of it. Um, and so I interviewed with this team and, you know, the truth is, I've said this before, I would have filled the candy jar. I would have done anything to, to get in the, the door. Mm -hmm. But Photo Deluxe was a pretty close match. It was imaging, it was photo, it was consumer. And even though it wasn't where I wanted to land, it was close enough. And, you know, I think I knocked it out of the park at the interview just with my enthusiasm, you know, and my passion. And that I was the end user because at that point, there was, the, Adobe didn't have, a lot of those folks, we, you know, we don't have that many of them now, but there wasn't someone who actually had street cred as a user. Um, and, you know, we do these multi-day interviews here. It's, um, you know, it's, it's quite a, quite a test to get in the door. Uh, but I just kind of, you know, give it, give it my all and, and, uh, got the Used job. Used your whisper skills. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought about that scene, I think about this a lot in my career, that scene in Wall Street where, you know, Bud Fox is going in to talk to Gordon Gecko, and he's thinking, you know, life comes down to a few moments and this is one of them. And I remember walking into the building being like, this is your dream and it's on you to, to realize it. So you, you're going to show up or you're not. But when you walk out of here, you're either going to have pulled it off or you're going to have blown it. So yeah. no pressure. <laughs> I thought I thought you was going to do the Adobe uh, the, um the Star Wars one, where like these aren't the droids you're looking for. Uh, <laughs> That'd be is, great. This is I wish this I could is the project. This is the product manager you're looking for. <laughs> they go, yeah, this is the guy. <laughs> that's definitely how I got the job at Wolf Camera, but that's not how I got the job at Adobe. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, you've you've had a great career at Adobe now, and and that's one of the things I I do love about a lot of the people I've got to meet from Adobe is Terry and Russell and Julianne yourself people stick around for a good while and get to grow with the product and you know you all you all love the products that you work with and because Alan and I were speaking about one particular product that came along that 
like you being a photographer and you're working in Photoshop and you're part of the product team and, and we'll talk about the like the growth of that. But one of the one of the things I remember you being so, so super passionate about was Fresco, which was a complete like non photography product, uh, like a step away from Photoshop. What I mean, where did that come from? Was that something you really wanted and kind of well I'm I'm in the place to make this stuff. Yeah, um, so I'll give you the the quick version of that one. So, you know, I, I started testing on Photo Deluxe. That project got canceled. I needed to scramble for a job. I took the opportunity to work on the Photoshop team. Everybody told me I couldn't do it, but I, I like it when people tell me I can't do things. That's, <laughs> that's helpful. Um, I, I got a job testing on Photoshop. It became obvious over a couple of years that as much as I loved being on the team, that wasn't my dream. The dream was to be a product manager. I couldn't even describe what I wanted when I came there because I didn't know. Everybody told me I couldn't do that. My boss stepped out on maternity leave. I was there to prove myself. I ended up getting that job and doing that job for about a decade. Along comes, a lot of things happen, but along comes the iPad Pro in 2015. And I already had an eye on mobile. I already was thinking about mobile a lot because fundamentally, as an educator and as a user, I want to make our software easier to use. I want more people to use it. And as a father, I want my kids to have a relationship with Adobe software, which probably doesn't mean a 30-year-old desktop product that you have to spend a week in the desert getting to know. As much as I love Photoshop, you know, as much as I love it. Um, that's not the easiest way to start. We can all agree on that. Yeah. So mobile already had my interest. Um, Scott Belsky was at Adobe his first stint. We had acquired Behance, and Scott came in. Yeah. And I, I just thought Scott was, I thought and think that Scott is super locked on and super interesting, and he had a passion for mobile. And so it was myself, it was Scott, and it was what Apple was doing with the iPad Pro. And we all started to work together. And lo and behold, a lot of the former desktop product managers, the product manager from Illustrator was getting into mobile. The product manager from InDesign was getting into mobile. I was the product manager from Photoshop who was getting into mobile. You realize like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the cool kids were kind of off onto this new thing. We were, we were surveying this new landscape, which was super exciting. Um, and I, I had a sort of a moment in the woods there where I was doing outreach and I was doing press and I was doing awareness. I wasn't really doing product management. I did that for maybe two years. It was largely partnerships and stuff. And I really missed product management. But when it was time to go back to that, you know, I, I had left the Photoshop team. Um, and so I, I became a director, which means that you're your products are your product managers, right? Which is a really different place in your career. You're, you have a lot of products under you. So today I have mm. Fresco and a number of other mobile products and a number of services like libraries and color, those are under me. But your product managers are really your products. And I had an opportunity to work with this guy, Will Isley. Will Isley was the PM on in design and I had worked with him coming up. In fact, he had been a director earlier in my career and he was doing sketch and draw, which would become Fresco. And I said, you know, I, I know enough about digital painting to be dangerous because it was in Photoshop. Photoshop forces you to learn about a lot of things. There's a lot yeah. of functionality in there. So I didn't completely lack credibility. I wasn't the end user and I've never pretended to be, you won't ever see me you know, pretending to do a, a fresco demo, but I understand the problem we're solving. 
and I understand the users. And my product management team is like I am with Photoshop or Lightroom. They, they are the real thing. So it was a really, um, it is a really nice next step in my career, which is to not necessarily be the expert in the product, but to have learned enough about the process that I can move the needle by guiding the product management team. Yeah, because when I've seen you speak at more recent conferences, it's like your eyes light up when you're talking about mobile. Yeah. When you're talking about Lightroom on mobile, when you talk about Fresco on mobile. And it seemed to be the thing that kind of, like you say, there's your job at showing someone how to do it, but then... Like you seem the guy, you seem to be the guy that sat at home on the iPad, testing and trying, and like this is what I want to be using. I remember I th- it was like Lightroom um, when Lightroom Mobile came out, um, and then Fresco, and and it really changed the landscape, that whole mobile world, because we were so desktop fixed. Everyone was sat in an office using it. It was such a like a static um, monument. Uh, that now all of a sudden mobile comes along and you're now looking at kind of the speed at which Adobe's advancing and the speed at which the hardware's advancing is now it's, you know, we're looking at... I remember being at Adobe Max when they announced Photoshop on the iPad and everyone was like, yeah, that'll happen. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah. you've got Photoshop on the iPad <laughs> for two years. You've got then Illustrator. I mean, I'm I'm still waiting for InDesign. But, um, <laughs> but but then, you know, you've got Lightroom, you've got Fresco, um, you've got the Aero, um, the uh, augmented reality yeah. thing. I mean, the speed at which you're you're working on these products must be quite frightening at times it is but exciting and, at the same time and there i want to be fair they're they're at very different stages right photoshop yeah. and the ipad is not lightroom on the ipad i i think at this point mm. lightroom on the ipad is is capable of doing things lightroom on the desktop can't do um it can fit in my camera bag it can go with me everywhere there, it has a couple of limitations but it also has a lot of superpowers fresco was just built for it you know it's got I've got this right here. So I've got a an intuitive direct connection. This is a much more natural way to draw and paint yeah. than this, you know? Um, so I, I got really excited about mobile. It reminded me a lot of digital photography. I remember going to, you know, to the Javits for Photo Expo, for Photo Plus, and it was all film. Even in the early days that I was, that I was there with Adobe, it was film, film, film. And... Digital passed film in about two years. Everybody said it wasn't going to happen. Everybody said it was a joke. Everyone said the cameras would never be good enough. And I remember we went from the little, you know, postage stamp Casios and Olympus, one megapixel, three megapixel. Then we had the Rebel uh, at six megapixels, which we got as a gift on the Photoshop team. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. And before you knew it, I, I remember within one year, Kodak went from handing out film when you came into the Javits and everybody would take it to handing out film and everybody was like, no, I'm good. No, thanks. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I told you. And I got to say that to all my photographer friends because they were all medium format film guys who swore they'd never change. The exact same thing happens with mobile. Some folks can see the horizon and they can see that it's going to totally transform the world. And other, other people who are really entrenched and rigid say it'll never be as good as the old way of doing it. Um, and that's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of great things about the desktop. It's great for 
for video editing. It's great for peripherals. It's great for print. It's great for using multi-apps. There's a lot of things it does uniquely well, but it's not with you all the time. It's not easy to use. And the truth is, this is the most used camera in the world, whether we like it or not. Um, so we can either miss out on this entire revolution uh, and we can be Kodak <laughs> handing out film that nobody wants um, or, or we can throw ourselves into it and, and fall down a lot. And I want to be, I want to have some humility. We've fallen down plenty. Uh, we've, we've made plenty of mistakes with mobile, but you know, as long as you're learning, it's, uh, it's I, okay. I, you guys frustrated me um, no end because I'm one of those, uh, I actually have a degree in computer science and English, and I was going to be a computer programmer. I wanted to go work for Microsoft. I, I like that was my, that was my goal. I was never going to be a photographer. That was just like a, a thing I did in college, and it was fun. And um, due to a you know whole series of unfortunate events, I ended up being my own business. I'm I'm you know a photographer, and I remember the day that I switched to digital because I went and shot um, a band up in up in the Bay Area, and we did some behind the scenes, you know, promo shots for the band. And when I came back, I shot half of it on a, like a Nikon, like D1. And I shot the other half on my F5. And I came back and I never bothered to get the film developed because the digital files went into the computer. They went into Photoshop. They went to the client. They were like, woohoo. And that was the end of that. And the roles of the other, I literally, I think they're still sitting in a box somewhere. They never, and that was, that was the day where I was like, I'm done. I shot the, yeah. the digital, you know, um, took over, but it took me, it took for them to get a, a, a camera where I could put my lenses on it for me to be happy with the digital side of it. And the same thing when everything started, you know, when we started feeling this Adobe push to mobile and, you know, there I am sitting in my office, like, but I have these monitors and these hard drives and these cameras and these memory cards and, right. you know, compact flash, eight gig cards, you know, like, oh my God, I'm... You know, why am I going to use a cell phone? And at the time, I don't think I even wanted to have a phone. You know, it was like like this and they're going to ignore me. And now there's like this seems to be like a really good balance between the guys like me who are still shooting when I have an event, which hasn't happened too often in the last year. Um, you know, thanks, COVID. Uh, I'll shoot two, three thousand images in a day. Um, because of, of yeah. you know what it is I'm what it is I'm doing and how I'm doing it, and that's not a reasonable thing to do on an iPhone, sorting wise. No. Um, so there is a place for the desktop in it, but when when the iPad when the Photoshop for the iPad came out or was announced at um, uh, Max a couple of years ago, and you know everyone like well you know everyone around me no that's never going to happen it's never going to be great and we started playing with it and realized that we could automatically save something on the desktop and then go and open it on the iPad without having to transfer files or figure out where it was stored. That was a game changer. I mean, that was literally like Photoshop became fun again, like in an instant, because yeah. I could sit on the couch and work on something and then I could go to my office and finish it up or, or even just finish it on, you know, on the iPad. And it became like, I can play with this product again. It's not a... I'm sitting at my desk having to, you know, add watermarks to, you know, 2000 images or do right. this stuff. And um, so I'm slightly converted. I'm, I'm not 100% there yet because I still can't get a 200 millimeter lens on my iPhone. But, you know, it's 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 yeah. coming in there. So how frustrating was it for you when you had to deal with people like me, especially, you know, public loud people who were like, <laughs> no, mobile's terrible, you know. Why are you spending the resources? Well, 
here's the thing. I, I'm like you too. I, I um, you know, I shot, I shot Nikon in the film days. I shot Canon when autofocus film, when autofocus really started to, you know, go beyond what Nikon was doing. And then more recently, a few years ago, I switched to Sony. So I've, I've been in each camp. I still shoot, um, you know, you're looking at me on a, on an A7R3 right now. I still shoot a lot of, uh, you know, DSLR. I shoot with a Leica Q2 a lot. Um, I'm, you know, wading into video. So I still do a lot of non-mobile photography and I still do a ton of desktop editing, right? So I got a drone recently. I finally got into that. For me, my sweet spot there is on the desktop. Um, so I talk out both sides of my mouth and I use both products. So I get it. And in fact, I'll say I've yet to convert to Photoshop on the iPad. I, I value the access. I, I, I really love um, Select Subject and Refine Edge. They're as good as they are on the desktop. They're as good. Um, so I love that. But I, I've been using Photoshop so long and I have so much muscle memory. I just feel like I'm not, it's not really for me just yet. I, I'm sure it's a couple features away from being my go-to for a few things. But my mobile workflow is Lightroom. Like Lightroom is my phone and my iPad, and I'm living on that. But I also, you know, I always say this to folks. If your solution that you have right now is working for you, I, I'm not here to convince you to change it. If you're looking for yeah. an easier or faster way to do it, or if you're open to something that might accelerate your workflow, um, you know, say, I, I, I say that, you know, if you're, a, if you're an event photographer, if you're a wedding photographer, if you're, you know, shooting... Um, animals or races, if you're doing anything out on location where you might not be able to get to the studio right away, I encourage people to check out Lightroom because you can dump all the images into your iPad and they're syncing to the cloud. And so the folks back in your studio, they can be flagging them and reviewing them in real time. You don't have to have a card runner and you can just be, you know, I can be working in the truck on the way back from a shoot. I can be, uh, you know, having a burger and, 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 playing with my images right away. So it, it depends on the workflow. It depends on how you use it. But I'm also, I'm not trying to change anybody's world. I, I love Photoshop and Lightroom on the desktop. And if that's working for people, um, that's awesome. I'm, when I think about mobile, I'm either thinking about areas that we can lean into mobile, the stylus, cellular, the form factor, um, the battery life, the screen, the screen's amazing, um, or usability. And that's kind of the big one is how can we make this friendlier? But I do think as time goes by, you're, you're going to hear us and you're going to hear me talking less about mobile. And it's just going to be these systems, right. right? So like Lightroom, Lightroom runs on the web. It runs on the desktop. It runs on my TV. It runs on my phone. It runs on my iPad. It doesn't really matter where it is. I can do, the, I can do about 95% of the things I do in Lightroom on almost all of those surfaces. It's just a matter of where am I and what do I want to do? Do I want to access it or do I want to edit it? Yeah, and it means uh, two words I'd written down were creative and collaborative. And I think that's what it's done is when we find when people complain about something we've done, it's like, yeah, but you only used to have this. You're actually, you've got now got these this software on multiple devices. So if you want to embrace it, you can be collaborative when you want to be whether that's 3 a.m in a hotel while you're traveling and you've got jet lag and you can pull your ipad out and you know do some images you haven't got your laptop you can be creative when you want to be but also the thing i love about 
how all these things are coming together is the collaborative nature yeah. is the fact that we're not just working alone anymore we are sharing with teams with friends with quickly like have a look at this and you can send a photoshop file over you can send lightroom files now illustrators on board and you know now now you can do different things in illustrator and like you say muscle memory for me was the thing was i'm so used to as a graphic designer i use those products differently so i use photoshop differently i don't retouch i don't do beauty retouching right. i use it for for that so photoshop it's kind of i can I, people would ring me up and i'd be on the road driving saying dave i'm stuck in photoshop how do i do this and in my head i'd be like rain man i'd be okay yeah go to, go to file i could visualize it i could tell them how to do it so i'm having to learn using the ipad and using the software and and now as well is when you think back to all right i'm i'm old as i'm so old that half my life there were no computers but it's now like my daughter my 10 year old daughter opens up my macbook and starts using illustrator she picks up my ipad and starts using draw or sketch or illustrator or fresco it they're learning so much at a younger age than all right we didn't have it but imagine if we had some of that stuff at that age like how how good you're going to be in your early 20s i wouldn't have wanted to drive a car rather than rather than (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, rather than mid, <laughs> yeah, mid fifties. That's the thing; it's just st- it's stopping them getting in a car. But that's what I love is you have to c- encourage people that not you don't have to use everything. It's just there if you want it. So if you've got a workflow and it works, great. But somebody might actually start on the iPad, um, and there's so many great artists. I mean, you see Adobe Max when they do the the big keynote video, and you see all these incredible artists and keynote speakers who are i mean one particular one i've mentioned a couple of times before talking about uh from design point of view is i love drew struzan the guy that used to do all the the paintings for the movies um and i've become friends with paul shipper who uses photoshop uh cintiq he does amazing work he's kind of like taken over the torch from drew um but there's a guy who lives in la who's english called kyle lambert and kyle did all of the stranger things artwork And it did it all on the iPad. I know. I know. That, it's amazing. That's, Absolutely amazing. And, and you just think, wow, like imagine someone from like an era of like film photography, how a snobby film photographer can be about yeah. modern day. But just look at the work. I mean, he's a young lad. He's adopted the software. He's using Photoshop. But it hasn't stopped him. When you see me getting excited about Fresco, the reason I get excited, it's it's in my portfolio, of course, so I, I have a bias. But it's because I truly believe, and mind you, Fresco is a system. Fresco runs on Windows mm. PCs. It runs on iPhone. It runs on iPad. But I, I genuinely believe um, that when it comes to drawing and painting, there is not a better surface for pros or beginners than the iPad. It is the best place to do it. It is the lowest latency, it's the most intuitive, and the reason you're seeing such amazing work come out of these devices is pros are figuring that out. And, you know, there's a couple applica- there's a, there's an application that's way ahead of us in the race called Procreate, uh, which is the top app out of every segment on the iPad and on the phone. It's an incredibly popular app, it's amazing. What I'm seeing lately, which I find to be very flattering, is people using Procreate and Fresco together, which is totally fine with me. Um, but I think that where mobile gets exciting is like 
well, what things can it do better than the desktop? Not not mm. less than, not as an alternative, but what can it actually do better? I think it's a better portfolio. It's a great way to, you hand an iPad to a client and you say, check out what I'm doing. And it can be, it can be touch, it can be pinch zoom, it can be video, and it's just gorgeous. Um, and drawing and painting is another one. And for me at least, um, which at first it was a, a challenge to myself and now it's just the way I work, the iPad's how I do all my, all, it's the first stop for my photography because it just syncs and if I want to go further uh, in Photoshop on the desktop, it's already there. I, yeah, that's funny you should say that. About oh, no, I just love Sorry, the iPad. It's, it's, um, it, when I, I remember when Apple um, released it, I, I've actually written three books about the first three versions of iPad because my editor called me and uh, sent me an email and I, um, she said, have you uh, heard of this iPad? Do you have an iPad? Are you going to get an iPad? And I said, have I heard of it? I'm answering you this email on my iPad from my bed. It lives next to my nightstand. I, I literally can't put it down. And she's like, our oh, author dropped out. Would you like to, you know, and I, like, absolutely. I can, not only can I use the iPad, I can also now write it off. So, um, yeah, and, and that's where the, I, like, I, I want people to understand the Photoshop on the iPad. I'm not, I'm still not using it to create artwork. I'm not using it. It's just become something that I can play with again, that like literally, like it's not working on my computer. It's not sitting in my office. It's become, I can sit outside. I can take it with me. That whole thing was a real mindset change. And the weird part about it was it was the file structure you guys used to have that save as PSD. I'm not, I'm not even sure right. what the, 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 the Cloud yeah, the cloud documents, PSDC, the fact that yeah. it, it was literally yeah. like, it's a Photoshop document with all my layers and it, it's not, I don't have to worry about it. it was such a game changer in, you know, my workflow. That's not a workflow. That's my enjoyment part of the whole thing. Um, but I'm, I'm in my fifties yeah. and my, my job at my, my nephew picks up technology and he's, you know, gets excited about it and tries things I'll never think of because my brain is not, I'm old, I'm baked. I'm, this is, this is it. This is, you know, this is the version of Alan that's going to be around, you know, till we're done. And I'll be one of those old guys going, you know, no, bring me back my iPad. I don't want a hologram projector from my wrist, you know, or whatever <laughs> Apple comes out with next month. Um, so I just, I really can, I can totally understand that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I, I get where you guys are coming from, but I just want people to understand it took me a while to get there. It's not one of those things that just yeah. goes, oh, snap, that's how it's done For now, sure. you know? And, you know, I do look at the young kids who just pick it up and they pick up things and they go, oh yeah, what if we try to do that? I'm like, that's not how that works. And then it turns out that's exactly how that works. And they amazing, make, you know, yeah. these amazing um, pieces. Um and I find it does go the other way. Like my, my son, who I try really hard not to push my own stuff on him, whether it's driving or photography or anything else. But, you know, he watches my videos and he's, you know, he looks up to me like your kid, you hope your kids do. And he, his first device that he bought himself, he, he just turned 12 and he saved up for a long time, was an M1 Mac, was an Apple Silicon MacBook Air. And he researched the heck out of it. His... He's played around on iPads. We, we don't let him have a lot of time doing uh, screen time. And of course, he's you know played around on my phone a little bit. But he, he's obsessed with the desktop. So it's, so it's cool to see that like there's a new generation that gets as excited about that. For him, that's the high watermark because that's what the pros use. So there's no telling mm -hmm. how this, it's like, it's like you know, folks uh, 
in our industry shooting with view cameras or or you know four by fives or whatever uh, it's, i'm sure those guys are surprised that it hung on as much as it did it's because people keep looking at it and going wow if you're really into it that's what you use yeah and also look at the the like we were talking about phones earlier our mobile phones shoot in 4k um super slow-mo and so you've got products like spark you've got products like rush that now we're taking giving these apps life on on the mobile is that well if you're shooting on mobile you should be able to do some editing on mobile um but what i always love when no matter who i talk to when they're saying about oh i you know i use procreate or "I, i use this it's quite often the line that comes up is and then I take it into yeah. Photoshop. That, yeah. And then I take it in. So I sit and I do all this in Procreate. And then I think in Procreate, is, is there export to PSD, I believe? There's export to PSD. It's, it's, yeah. There's layer limits and there's a resolution limit. But you can, you can get your stuff to Photoshop. And that Stranger yeah. Things example that you mentioned before, if you look at that workflow, which is really well documented on the web, beautiful mm. poster, but it doesn't, it doesn't exist without Photoshop. Right. No, exactly. It's, I bring it, and then I bring it. I always love it, and then I bring it into Photoshop. Yeah. Or, I mean, like you were saying about the development is when you think like back in the day, it was Photoshop. It's funny. I wanted to mention fireworks earlier. Yeah, I, sure. Oh, fireworks. Um, but you had those products, and it was the industry standard. And you know, I, as a, as an InDesign user, I was a Quark Express user. That went away, and it amazes me now when I see an advert for Cork Express come up on Instagram. It's like, oh, it's still alive, um, but but how how quick it develops. But obviously, there's no there's more competition, and therefore you kind of keeping on top and, and developing. So now here we are in 2021. You've got to this point. We've had COVID <laughs> for a year. Just quickly, how how has that changed your life? over that 12 months yeah i mean it's (laughs) we're all we're all living in this very strange world um and it's i'm i'm trying hard to see the good in it i I think i am an optimist i'm a i'm a glass half full kind of guy i love the time with my kids i love the time with my dog um it's work-wise it's um it's exhausting in a different way you know what's looking into a screen all day long None of us were built for that. None of us were built to be living in a cave all day. Um, no. I would say that you know Adobe's doing really, really well uh, as a company. It's for it's it's acted as an accelerant for e-commerce and digital creation and, and creativity tools. So I think the whole world, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at it with a bit of an Adobe bias, the whole world has moved forward like a decade in a year. Um, People have had to figure out, you know, how to do all this stuff that they wouldn't have had to figure out if it weren't for quarantine. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's we've all we all have friends we've lost. We all have family members that have been impacted. It's been absolutely tragic too. I, I think we've all been sort of those of us who've been working have been kind of sticking our heads in the sand with our work. I know I have, um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, deferred trauma that we're all going to be dealing with. So I'm. I'm not going to pretend like I have it all sorted, but um, it's it's kind of been the best of times and the worst of times, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Well, let's hope that um, now we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I th- while while we're talking, everyone, if you're listening, sign up for the next Adobe Max because 
because of COVID, we are going to be virtual again. Um, but last year, Adobe did an amazing job with with switching to virtual and the way you did it and the way it's presented. So, Nick, I, I know this is going to be even better. Um, Brian, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolute a joy to listen to this oh, it's... because I really. I, it's so frustrating when you see people at events you never really get to chat to them or, or, or have time because you're so busy but i really appreciate you making time today for us and uh i hope that you're back in the offices soon like you're back to driving your car on your commute <laughs> oh i love talking um, with you guys there's there's a, a lot of common passions there you know there's there's parenthood and photography and and running and speaking and writing and uh, I could talk to you guys all day long. Uh, so that's that's all. It doesn't. I guess that's what's that's what I would leave everybody with. Um, going to Max or anything else, if you can uh, if you can use your passion to guide you in your career, then it never feels like work. Like this, this is an honor and a privilege to talk to you guys. I don't. It's not something that uh, it's something I get to do. So thanks for having oh, me. That's, thank you. That's oh, well, awesome. We appreciate your time. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, so sign up for Adobe Max. Hopefully we'll see you in person next year at some event. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time, Brian. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks Alan. Great to see you guys. Bye. Cheers. Bye.